welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I am Dane Wallace here with Freya Spence. And today's guest is Ms. Alicia Smith, joining us all the way from Australia. With over 14 years of industry experience, Alicia is the co-director of Integral, a groundbreaking movement studio that is on the forefront of aerial instruction in Sydney, Australia. Formerly the learning and development manager for the Australian Fitness Network, Alicia has helped develop and deliver the curriculum to upskill thousands of new and existing fitness professionals down under. As evidenced in her work as an animal flow master instructor, Alicia is passionate about sharing intelligent movement and bodywood exploration with kids and adults of all ages. And most importantly, always brings an astute and humorous approach to her mentoring and speaking work. Alicia, welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. I'm so pumped to be able to speak to you. So we uh, obviously just gave you a brief little intro, but can you tell us a little bit about what your current studio management is and what your life is like right now in terms of its focus? Okay, no problem. I've, I'm always someone that's kind of identified with the term multi-potentialite, and I didn't coin that idea. That came from a TED, a TED talk that I heard some time back. But essentially what that means is that I have a lot of different things that I focus on. So maybe I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> um, but essentially I, as you mentioned in the intro, Dane, I am the co-director of a studio in Australia called Integral. And primarily we're focused on two things. We're focused on one, being in the air. So we teach people how to do really cool stuff with their body through the use of aerial arts apparatus such as aerial silk, static trapeze, lira, that type of thing. And then we also do ground-based training as well. So obviously animal flow is a big part of what I do, but then we do things like hand balancing, mobility, strength training, all kinds of different stuff. In addition to that, I kind of have a, have my hands in a few different things as well. So I also do mentoring and coaching for fitness professionals who are either they're new to the industry and just need someone that has some industry experience to kind of help point them in the right direction or there's someone that's been in the industry for a while and they're trying to find a new career path or figure out how they're going to evolve the current career that they have to take them in, in a direction that's going to give them longevity in the industry. Um, I also, because if that's not enough, I also have more things. So I'm an animal flow master instructor, just like you, Freya. And that's so cool because it means that I get to travel around, not just Australia, but parts of the world, teaching the animal flow program uh, to fitness professionals everywhere who want to learn how to move their bodies better. That's awesome. See, we knew there's way more that we could have put in that intro. And we're like, you know what? We'll have Alicia talk about it. So we were um, we were chatting with you, and obviously the audience doesn't yet know. We were talking about alternative fitness. So do you mind defining alternative fitness and what does it encompass? Uh, yeah, alternative fitness for me is really just about the, the physical activity components of the fitness world that maybe sit outside the typical boundaries that we would think of. So, you know, oftentimes when we think of fitness, we think of a traditional gym or personal training studio. We think of things like treadmills or lifting weights. We think of things that we would typically walk into a gym or fitness studio and find. But alternative fitness is really about any way that you can use your body that takes you outside of the of those traditional parameters. And quite often what we're finding is that it's it's based on skill acquisition as well. So the things that I would encompass in alternative fitness beyond what I do are things such as 
high school calisthenics training, um, gymnastic strength training, pole dancing, uh, literally anything that gets you moving your body in a way that takes you out of a traditional gym environment, is focused on skill acquisition, and I think most importantly is just really, really fun, and it's almost like it's hiding the vegetables of movement. So it gets you moving your body in a really fantastic way that uses your brain and is you know, developing strength and mobility and, and all kinds of different components of fitness, but lets you really focus on the fun elements of it rather than it being about the workout, so to speak. Yeah, that's amazing. It's almost like diversifying your movement diet, you know? Yeah, 100%. I love that term. That's great. Well, and it addresses a tremendously large amount of the population that has absolutely no interest in stepping into a classic conventional gym model, or who do, but then find it obscenely boring for them. And uh, that alternative fitness is embracing the concept that really everybody is a mover in some way, shape, or form, and you can find a fun way for every person to get that. That is so true, and I think that's something that's become more and more apparent to me in you know the four years that we've had our studio open. We get so many people walking through our doors who either have have had a bad poor or you know a bad experience within the traditional confines of the fitness industry, and they're looking for a way to move their body that keeps them fit, that takes them out of that environment, or they're just too intimidated to walk in the gym doors in the first place. And I think you know that's not to say that the fitness industry, by any means, has done anything wrong in that space, because I've been a part of the fitness industry for you know mm-hmm. fifteen years now, and. It's a brilliant place to be and we are doing really incredible work and there's so many great trainers and instructors and coaches out there, but I think we still need to be aware of the fact that there is a large portion of the population who we're just not reaching and they're the people that if I can create a more community environment that's a little bit more welcoming and less intimidating than than the perception that kind of floats around with the gym, then that's a really great way that I can help some people move their bodies that otherwise may not have access to great coaches or, or you know, methodologies that are going to help them um, move their body in a way that's meaningful to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is something that if you spoke to me maybe 10 years ago, I would have told you, no, like if you want to be healthy, you want to get strong, you want to do these things, you need to lift the barbell. Like you have to get into the gym. There's no other way to do it. It's just you need that barbell. And, you know, just with my exploration over the past few years uh, with the animal flow and all these other, you know, ground-based movements, so swimming, yeah, it, it's just so unbelievable what you can achieve fitness-wise just with your own body. And it's breaking down those barriers for people. I have a lot of people who come to me for nutrition help and they're always asking, you know, do I have to go to the gym? Like, am I going to, you know, can I lose weight if I'm not lifting weights? And like, absolutely, the key is movement. You know, it's not lifting weights. It's using your body on a day-to-day basis and breaking down those barriers to like show people that just with your body, you have so many different things you can do and introducing that fun aspect of things to it. We can really help so many more people with getting this message out there. And I think another thing that kind of comes off the back of that, Dane, and, and that's such a great point, but something else that comes off the back of that is, you know, the fitness industry is filled with a typical type of person. And when I say that, I'm referring to that in in almost a genetic sense or, you know, a somatotype sense. And what we know is that one size does not fit all. And a lot of the fitness industry recommendations that we've given our clients, and I'm so guilty of this. You know, I remember I used to give my clients the diet and the training program that I used because it worked for me. But what we now understand is that not only can doing that 
result in non-responsiveness in some clients, but it can actually be really detrimental to them. And having an understanding of, of personalizing the training, food recommendations, the chronobiology, you know, the, the, the training environment and the type of training that people are doing in terms of are they surrounded by people? Are they in an environment that, you know, from, a, from an aesthetic or physical perspective is making them feel happy to train? Like all of these things really matter. So more than anything now, I understand that, yeah, a barbell is a great way to get strong. Yes, running is a great way to build your cardiovascular fitness. Yes, swimming is a fantastic, you know, training methodology for some people. But if you're not personalizing, you're not individualizing not only what you're prescribing to your clients, but also the way that you're, you know, communicating with them, the type of food that you're encouraging them to eat, all of those things. If we're not individualizing and personalizing those, then we're actually just doing our clients a massive disservice. We couldn't agree more. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that we struggle with when it comes to like online programming. It's like, you cannot really address the human being if you're just creating a general program for the person that's say 60 weeks to build strength or whatever else it is, you need to incorporate their lifestyle demands, their stressors, what's their recovery really going to be like, what are their genetics like versus epigenetics, like you need to, not that we're doing DNA testing there, but like just knowing the human and seeing what they respond well to and what they don't respond well to. It's like I had a really good friend about 10 years ago who was lifting and we were lifting together and then decided to get into endurance stuff. And all of a sudden started pile on weight. Meanwhile, I comfortably did both, happily raced in endurance. And both of us were just perplexed. It's like, wow, you do really well energy-wise and everything when you're lifting heavy. But man, as soon as you do anything more than 10 minutes, apparently you start to really gas out. And then he just gained weight over the course of two months because it was a really poor responder to endurance-type training. And like, how demotivating is that for your average client that's coming in the gym as well? Athletes or, or your, you know, your typical client that's walking in off the street, they think that they're doing the best thing for themselves because they're going to the gym, they're following recommendations, and then over a period of a couple of months, they're actually gaining weight and, and doing the opposite of what they're hoping for. So, you know, this this is a rabbit hole in and of itself, this whole concept of, of you know, epigenetics and genetics, which you guys know that I I'm loving and kind of been diving into over the past yeah. uh, six to 12 months as well. But yeah, it just, it really kind of to bring it back to the alternative fitness side of things, like we've really just got to get out of the headspace that if you don't train a certain way, then it's not, it's not valuable. And you know, that's where alternative fitness for me has really been uh, influenced by the likes of, for instance, CrossFit. And I think that CrossFit, while yeah, that's lifting and yeah, it's doing cardio, what that did for the first time ever was create a community. It created, uh, or not, you know, not that that's a necessarily a unique thing because gyms and, and studios have their own communities, but what it did on a wider scale is it created a culture and a community that people knew if they went to a CrossFit box, they could expect to get X type of workout. They'd be meeting X type of people. And, you know, it really, it really pushed the boundaries of what the typical fitness industry uh, studio or gym was doing, which I think is really, has really opened the doors for studios like mine to, you know, to start to pop up. And it's given us, almost given us permission to do things that are different and know that there is someone out there that's going to benefit from the approach that we take. Absolutely. And so with that in mind, I think many would see Ariel and be intimidated immediately. So how does one start and what level do they have to be at fitness-wise? 
Great question. Uh, you're right. People do often get intimidated because they're looking at what the advanced students or, you know, the professional performers are doing and that's absolutely not where the person that walks in off the street is going to start. Uh, you might even start, like, for instance, let's say you were starting with aerial silks. You would start no more than, you know, maybe a metre to two metres off the ground. Um, so what's that? It's like three to six feet from the floor. Yeah. Uh, and... And, you know, we make it a really supportive environment that is helping people find the things that they can be successful in. Just like going to the gym, you don't pick up the 100, ca- the 100 kilo weights from, the, from your very first session at the gym. You start with the small ones and you build your way up. That's exactly the same with aerial. Um, we can also put the, the apparatus at either lower it down to a height that means people can reach it and it's accessible from the floor or in the case of the silk, we can tie a knot into it and make it into like a hammock or a sling so people can have a percentage of their body weight supported without having to be able to do chin-ups or lift their whole body weight on their own. So it really is something that, you know, I love seeing kids and adults alike walk in the door for their first session and, yeah, they're, they're a little bit nervous, they're a bit intimidated, but then to, to know that they're going to be able to do so much more than they ever imagined they could and to see that level of satisfaction and the pride in themselves and how happy they are at the other end of that hour is just second to none. It's, it's really incredible. From a fitness perspective, you really don't need to be able to do a whole ton. You don't need to be able to do a chin-up. You don't need to be able to run or do a push-up necessarily to be able to start because everything is so incredibly scalable. You could start, you know, your very first session might literally just be learning to step up onto the silk which might be knotted and to push up from that position to standing and then back down again so we can start with the most simple and basic of moves if you can walk upstairs you can get up onto the silk that's awesome um because people usually do see that and they see oh well you've got to be borderline circus performer to be able to go and have any sort of capacity there or you you know you see incredible feats where people are pulling themselves up the silks without their feet and people think well no that's a massively advanced skill as opposed to one that's broken down into even just being able to walk upstairs yeah and and i think you know there again there's we have to take some responsibility for that in terms of what we're sharing and, and you know, the, the maybe the way that we're, that we're sort of projecting um, our skill level. And I think that's also important is showing the fails and showing that, you know, we're just putting in the reps like everyone else is. And, you know, I couldn't do the splits or anything like that when I started aerials at all. That was seven years ago. And that's one of the things that's, that's the most amazing is being able to watch some of our students and clients on their aerial journey and see where they started and what they're doing now. And we've got students that are, you know, that are going on to study circus arts at university for three years or they're doing paid performances. And, and that's really cool is to see that literally anyone can walk in off the street and give it a shot and find some level of success from the very first session. Um, so with your own journey within it, what led you, so if you started about seven years ago, what led you to determine that, you know what, this is where I want other people to be able to experience it at whatever level they come in at? What led you to building your studio and then establishing it in the manner that you have that addresses all populations? Good questions. Okay, so the first part of that, I suppose, is, is what led me to Ariel, and that was because I was feeling really burnt out 
in the you know in my fitness industry roles I was a personal trainer at the time and a um and working on the education side of the fitness industry as well so putting together programs for a conference called Filex um you know working on continuing education for the fitness industry and I felt that I'd gotten to the point where the training that I was doing was more about my clients and members than it was me. You know, I was teaching indoor cycling and I was teaching Les Mills classes and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so I was really looking for something that would help me feel like I wasn't at work every time I went to train. And so I went and took – I had taken a couple of flying trapeze classes with some friends just as a bit of a fun thing to do and realized how much I loved not only the feeling of being in the air and the feeling of using my body in order to, to just hold myself up there, but I also loved the mental challenge that came along with it because, you know, when you're 8 to 10 metres off the ground, that's a pretty scary place to be until you learn to really trust your own capacity, your physical capacity, your mental capacity, your ability to stay focused until you trust that you are going to wrap yourself the right way. And so having moved, uh, you know, into it as, as more of a hobby, I just really became obsessed with it. And I realized that I had gone initially for the workout, but I was staying because of all of those challenges and because of the community that I found around me as well. There were really like-minded people who were all really interested in the same things as me. Um, so from there, I just became literally obsessed with it. I was taking every class that I possibly could. My then coach, who is now my business partner, um, approached me probably around about six years ago, the first time when I was, I'd started instructing for her and she asked if I would consider opening a studio with her because she was only teaching a few classes a week from a local facility. And I kept saying no, cause I just didn't feel like I, I had this massive case of imposter syndrome. I was like, what do I know about doing any, any of this stuff? You know, I'm not a professional circus performer. Um, I haven't owned a gym before. I've certainly managed facilities, but I had never owned a gym. And she just eventually wore me down. I think the third time she asked me, I was just at a point where I was like, I just really wanted to challenge myself in my career and take another step forward. So, um, yeah, so I eventually said yes. And literally then it was just, it was just all hands on deck and we just went for it. We opened our facility just over four years ago and it became really important to us to make sure that the team that we pulled around us, so we have a team of, uh, there's 15 of us now um, in our coaching team. It was really important to us that we had really common values and one of those is continuous and never ending improvement. And another of them is about inclusivity because the aerial world has some notoriety for being particularly exclusive. And if you're not a high level performer, then, you know, maybe you're not feeling as welcomed in the studios as, as those who are. So that really, I guess, was the thing that has underpinned the people that we've selected to join our team. It's underpinned the, the, I guess, the pedagogy, you know, the, the educational practice behind how we teach and also, it's really important to me that we're not just all about tricks and doing fancy stuff. We want people to walk out of the session better than they walked in, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the drive-by shooting version of how we got to where we are. And just with that mandate, having people kind of walk out feeling that way, I think that's generally just as fitness, you know, people in the fitness industry, that's how we want everyone to leave the gym or you're from Ariel or from anything they do with their body is just feeling more confident and feeling better in their own body than they came into it. So I think that's a fantastic way to uh, kind of approach the business. Now with that said, as an entrepreneur, what are some of the biggest challenges you guys encounter? 
there are, you know, there are numerous challenges. I think for us, the first one was just that we didn't go into this with tons of financial backing. And, you know, everything that we've done, my business partner, Kalili, and I have paid for out of our own pocket to, you know, to get the business going, um, to set up our, our studio. So there's always the challenge of cash flow, as any small business owner will know. But we're really lucky to have reached a point where we've been able to kind of overcome that and now things are flowing really nicely. But part of that is is what we can offer to incentivize our team. I am just, we expect so much from our coaches, but we give them as much back as we possibly can. So, you know, from an education perspective, we're constantly bringing in allied health professionals, bringing in other aerialists who are incredible educators. We're trying to bring in the newest and best programs for them to learn from and to provide as many opportunities for them to learn and grow as we possibly can whether that is through, you know, structured education or whether it's just through the time that my business partner or I will spend one-on-one with them to to make sure that they're happy. So I think, you know, the more, if there was more money, we would be able to do even more to make sure that, that our coaches really do have I, – I think what it is for me is it's about helping them have the best life they can through the work, not for the work. Like I want my coaches and our team members – to be so happy and so satisfied and to walk out just in the same way our clients do, but to walk out of their day at our studio feeling better than when they walked in. Um, so I think that's probably one of the challenges is, you know, for me because I want to be able to give them so much. Um, the other challenge I think is probably just, you know, it's really just I, I needed to understand sooner that I should outsource the things I'm not that good at. And, when you're a small business owner, it can be hard to decide to invest the money into doing that. But I think if we had done that faster, so things like marketing, having people come in and take care of our financial reporting and all that stuff, then it would have freed up a lot of mental space, but it also would have helped us move faster. And then off the back of that, the last thing is probably just learning that we needed to be quicker to pivot. Sometimes our decisions that we would make would be much more highly emotional than I would like them to be, rather than always based on what is best for the business. Um, so we're just, we, we definitely tried to get better at pivoting and, and moving faster and changing direction if something feels like it's not the right direction for us anymore. Those are all uh, key things that I think a lot of people do struggle with and that marks kind of the success or the ultimate failure of a endeavor that's really close to someone's heart as well, right? Because that's very hard to distinguish what's an emotional reaction versus where does the business brain kind of come in. And I think you having managed a number of clubs, you no doubt brought a lot of experience from all those roles that you played, both with organizing conferences to managing clubs to managing clients in order to bring it into the leadership position that you're currently in and I think you know something that kind of fits in with that that statement about leadership failure is also I I think that possibly the perspective that I used to have on leadership is very different to the one that I have now like I used to think that being a leader was being the boss but now I realize that as a leader it's actually my job to serve my team and not the other way around so when, I think when I realized that, it completely changed the way that I connected with our coaches, but it also changed it changed the way that our business ran because I realized that if I was walking in every day saying, what can I do for my team rather than, you know, what can I expect out of them today, then they became so much happier and the flow on down through our company and, and into our clients into our clients 
was also palpable. Like you could literally tell that the team became so much more tight-knit and as a result, our customers love to be at our studio. You know, everyone always comments about the cool vibe when they come in, like that they feel like they're so welcomed. And I think that's because I realized that it's ultimately up to my business partner and I to, to serve our team and not the other way around. Yeah, and I mean, I think we can attest to the very cool vibe. Then we uh, we were there when uh, I think it was earlier this year in April. Yeah, April? in April. Yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. We had a great time. I think I pretty much broke my toe, and uh... <laughs> and he learned that silks are really, really hard. Yes, they are. His abs and forearms the like next day fine. were like it, it, you know. You couldn't really move them. It was actually really, really funny because I had at one point, what was it? I decided to just race Mike up the uh, up the six there to yeah. the to the top, and it was yeah. like, at the time it was like, yeah, it's no big deal. I could do this. No joke. Like I was in so my abs were just so demolished for like the next two days. I I went to a gym in Melbourne like. I think three days later and I was doing some overhead press and I, yeah. I thought I like tore something in my abs at one point trying to like stabilize the weight overhead. It was like, what have I done? This is a huge mistake. But, um, but no, it's, it's a wicked gym. And again, like silks are so much fun. And, and I think that's, that's the big key thing here with alternative fitness is just finding these new methods to get people to use their bodies. And it's, you know, and that's also another thing that I, that I love about, about this particular kind of side of alternative fitness that I'm in is like we coach kids from the age of five and to see, particularly for the teenage girls, it is so, so, so important for them to A, develop a love of physical activity of moving their body, but B, to develop a complete appreciation for what their bodies can do as opposed to how their bodies look. And it's not to say that you shouldn't be proud if you look a certain way. Of course you can be proud if you put the hard work in and that's important to you, then great, go ahead, knock your socks off. But what's amazing is, you know, we're, we're in an environment where the girls have to be covered a lot because, you know, you'll end up with really bad friction burns. So quite often they're in long leggings and they've got shirts tucked in. Like we don't look very stylish, I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, from a, from a function and practicality perspective, you've got to be covered. So they're learning to appreciate their bodies for being able to do a chin-up at the age of 13 or 14 or for being able to do something really cool like climb to the top, you know, of a nine-meter high silk with just their own body weight powering them and, and only, a you know, a mat underneath them. There's no harness. There's nothing. There's no line securing them to anything. So that's what's really cool, and I think that connects to a lot of the different areas of alternative fitness is that we're seeing people develop a real appreciation for what their body is capable of and to understand that if they want to be able to continue to do these types of things throughout their life, then they need to take care of their bodies in all facets of their life through what they eat, the way they sleep, their recovery and regeneration practices, even what they're thinking and how they're challenging and training their own brains. Uh, and that's just a really incredible thing to be able to be a part of and be a witness of. I'm laughing slightly because you said, you know, they wear a lot of clothes so they don't get hurt. Well, my first aerial lesson, the back of my knees were so bruised because I'm so used to wearing shorts <laughs> yeah. that, uh, I mean, I managed the entire lesson, but then I went to sit in the car to go home and just the touch of the seat on the back of my knee was something else. Uh, so We call that an, an aerial tattoo or a circus kiss. Oh, yeah. That, that was a really hefty kiss with like a sledgehammer kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, but it was a lot of fun. And actually, it's interesting because the biggest challenge for me wasn't hitting like the, you know, the, some of the positions I was being shown. It was the transitions in between. 
Mm. And it was untraining my brain from the dance world of spotting spotting the wall and always having a spot on the horizon to learning to spin without spotting. It was such a, you mentioned brain activity. Like it was a true cognitive challenge to overcome what I had trained for, you know, nearly two decades. Um, and so from that alone, there's such cool sort of mental challenges that somebody will encounter in taking up something that's in alternative fitness and I think we've spoken with a number of our guests about this conscious movement thing and really it just is to your point about really being in your body and being appreciative of what it can do as opposed to just counting down the reps within your set and you know half thinking about work um, along the way not that you know there's anything wrong with that we both go to the gym regularly but it is nice to have those sort of more freeing modes of movement and within the context of that do you integrate some of the groundwork with all your sky people. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something that's been really important to me from the very beginning is that, you know, we take the time to help our, our clients understand their bodies better and how to look after them, uh, not just to do cool things in the air. And so part of that is that every session we do, you know, 15 minutes of movement preparation, which is really about preparing our our joints for what they're going to need to go through in the air because we go through some quite extreme ranges of motion but also obviously if you're doing if you're just pulling and hanging all the time then you're really you're really going to introduce uh, a, an imbalance primarily in through your shoulders and so for us doing ground-based work is really important and we have a term that we've coined which we just say aerial vegetables or aerial veggies and that ref- <laughs> everything that we actually do that's either on the ground or close to the ground, very low to the ground, that is training our body in the way that we don't get to train it when we're in the air. It's primarily an open chain activity when we're in the air because the apparatus is very malleable. And so we are, you know, to to get down on the ground and have that closed chain environment where we're really um, becoming much more effective at motor unit recruitment and, you know, just becoming a better synchronized unit is really important for us. Um, and that's really key to shoulder health for aerialists is that they're spending time pushing and pressing down on the ground um, in that closed chain environment. Just for our listeners out there, can you explain a little bit the difference between the open chain movements and closed chain movements and why it's good to have a little bit of both in the movement diet, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so open chain is anything really that is kind of it's, – it's movable, I think, is probably just the most simple way to explain it, whereas closed chain is if I'm pushing against a resistance that I can't overcome. So, for instance, if I'm doing – Um, If I'm doing a squat, you know, like a barbell, a back squat, for instance, my feet are in contact with the ground and I'm not going to be able to push the ground away from me. All I can do is push my body away from the ground. So it's a closed chain environment. Whereas open chain, like, you know, a good example from the aerial world is where we're hanging by our hands from the silk and our feet aren't touching the floor and then we lift our legs over our head. That's open chain uh, because the silk is moving around. We don't have the ability to kind of overcome that resistance. Um, The reason that that both of them are important is because they provide different stimulus to our bodies and our bodies are really designed to move through every plane of motion. They're designed to experience every joint action that we can possibly find. They really do, you know, we really do need to make sure that we're experiencing a full profile or a full diet, to use your term, Dane, of different forces, of different angles of different stimulus to give us a really well-rounded, strong, resilient body. And particularly for aerialists, we can get really stuck in this 
place of only doing things in the air and you know that's a really important place for us to train because of course specificity the principle of specificity dictates that whatever I impose whatever stress or or strain or challenge I impose on my body that's what I'm going to get better at but there's so much value to us experiencing our body in completely different ways down on the ground to make sure that we do have that really well-balanced, nutritious diet of movement and stress for our bodies. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, a few years ago when I busted up my knee, Freya introduced a few ground-based movements to my uh, movement diet. And uh, it's, I mean, they're, they're a staple now. Animal flow is something I love. It's something I do every day. And uh, it's something that I now give pretty much every one of my athletes. Doing a few crab reaches is a nice little warm up for some overhead press, or you know, doing some uh, full scorpions or scorpion reaches to open up the hips and, and prep for some deadlifts or some squats. Um, there's just it's just such a great tool to increase mobility and stability, just to intersplice in there with uh, some of the the weight training. So it's uh, having a you know a diverse movement diet is very important. Got to have those movement vegetables. And I think, you know, Animal Flow is such a brilliant program for that. And I really do credit it for me becoming a better aerialist, not just because it's given me better mobility, like my shoulder mobility, my spine, my spinal mobility, everything has improved as a result of it. But another really great benefit, which I didn't, I didn't, I never anticipated this would be the case, but it's made me look more fluid in the air because on the ground I've learned to be a better communicator and I've learned to, you know, to use the energy that I have and, and, and transfer that into the ground and then back into myself and, and I guess use that ground as a way to help me learn to control my body better through space at varying speeds. And as a result of that, I think, you know, a lot of the aerialists that I train with have started to see the benefits of it too and, you know, it's just such an incredibly intelligent program that I, I feel like I'm starting to understand more and more um, every day when I practice it myself, but also every time I teach the program. I'd agree with, with both of those in terms of self-discovery as well as, as teaching it. And it's interesting that you mentioned that fluidity because um, with Dane, he wasn't seen in the competition side of things for almost two years because of the knee. And when he came back, he had some person that he'd never met before, but who'd clearly been around as a as someone watching the competitions, come up to him and say that you look more athletic. What has changed in your training? Like you just, with strongman, he was moving in a more athletic manner. And I think the way that it complements any other, like you're talking about aerial with Dane, it was strongman. Although I'd love to see him doing aerial hoop one day. Um, bring it, bring it. <laughs> What's next time you guys come back? Yes, definitely. <laughs> We're up for that. Um, it is interesting how well it complements just about everything, which is what the program was designed to do. And um, yeah, shoulders are giants to stand on. Like no matter exactly. what your, you know, no matter what it is that you're looking to improve, animal flow will make you better at that thing. It's really incredible. Whatever the thing is, which is yeah. brilliant. And within the context of aerial, you obviously are with young kids. They don't have built-in fears necessarily about being upside down being high off the ground I mean I used to jump off of rooftops as a kid with my brothers which you know is fine we our parents know about it now but um kids don't have that sort of hold so how do you work on that with adults obviously you have the ability to lower the implement um are there people that you've worked with adults teens kids alike that have a fear of going upside down that you've managed to overcome or do you just keep it close to the ground and just 
live within a relative comfort level? How do you determine to push it? What's that like? That's quite a detailed question. And I think sometimes that just comes down to, you know, to coaching practice and the years of practice. So the answer is yes to all of those things. With adults, what's really interesting is that we have a number of adults come to us who are scared of heights. So that's it's always, I just think like they're so brave to walk in the door of a place that they know is going to put them into the environment that makes them most comfortable, which is being at height. So um, it really is about sort of, you know, graded exposure or progressive overload in much the same way, you know, to come back to the analogy of you wouldn't walk into the gym for the first time and throw a 100 kilo barbell on your back. We're not going to make someone who's afraid of heights or is, you know, maybe hasn't developed the physical capacity to to go upside down yet. We're not going to put them at nine meters off the ground straight away. We're just going to work within the boundaries of whatever is comfortably challenging for them. Um, there are a lot of ways that we can support people to do that, and that can just be by us literally physically supporting them. So there are a lot of ways that we can spot people so that they're never completely under their own power until they're ready to do so. But we also don't push people beyond where they feel they're ready to go. We'll encourage them. We have a really supportive environment. Our team are incredible. And, and, and when I say team, I'm including the other students and clients in that as well. But it really is just about us finding the edges of what they're comfortable with and encouraging and supporting them to go there with as much or as little information as they need in order to do that. And then over time, building the confidence in that particular area or movement pattern and then progressing them as they're ready to do so. People don't come into our studio and get a cookie cutter program. All of our classes for adults are drop-in and the reason for that is because, A, people's lives are really busy and sometimes it can be hard to them to commit to, here's a 12-week program where I come every Tuesday this time. So we want to support their lifestyle and give them flexibility to train when and how it suits them. But also, and probably most importantly, is people don't progress at the same rate. And so if someone goes into a 12-week program or a 10-week program and they're not able to keep up at a pace that is creating a sense of success for them and that also allows them to be safe in the air, then that's not going to be a, an environment for them where they're actually going to be able to, look, to learn successfully. The challenge with being off the ground is that obviously there is a whole other level of safety that we have to be concerned about. It's not just is someone able to do the move or not. It's can they do the move in a way that's safe? Can they safely get themselves back down to the ground if they've wrapped themselves incorrectly? And, you know, all of those things are components that we take very seriously and make sure that we spend time with each person in our group to or in our classes or one-on-one -on -one sessions to make sure that we're just progressing with a pace that's, that's right for them as an individual. I love that. A friend of mine who teaches handstands and a lot of ring work, she does a lot of circus work here in, uh, she's actually in Montreal. She says when we're upside down or in the air, we are 50% dumber and we need to account for that in our training. So true because you have absolutely no sense of which way is up or down, exactly. right or left. Yeah. Language doesn't mean what it used to mean. Nope. Uh, you know, panic can set in so much faster than if you're on the ground um, and that's the same for handstands as it is for being inverted, um, you know, when you're off the ground as well. So, yeah, I love that. I'm so going to steal that and use that. <laughs> that's great. I'll let Sarah know. <laughs> um, you know, there's got to be some sort of reflex there because, you know, in water, really cold water, we get this diving reflex. So somewhere in the air or upside down, we've got to have another systemic reflex um, that, that makes us 50% brain powered. 
And now a little bit off topic, but um, we, we love asking our guests this. Have there been any peak moments in training someone that have created either a change in your approach or just an inspiration to take a slightly new path? Or maybe it's not in training someone, it's just in you've worn so many hats. So somewhere in your career, has there been a peak defining moment? There have been a lot of defining moments. I think the angle that I want to go with this is it's connected back to the epigenetic stuff that we were talking back talking about earlier, but it also connects to your last question about, you know, about sort of how we're, how we're helping people be successful, um, even if they're, you know, afraid or they're new. And one thing that I have, that I have sort of had a lot of success with in our studio environment is the one-on-one sessions that I, that I run for people who are often really afraid to be in the air. And I think, the, the, the pivotal moment for me was seeing one particular client, Elizabeth, who's absolutely amazing and she's really tall, she's incredibly strong, but she's never really been super, super brave in terms of she's not reckless. She needs to have all of the information. She needs to know what's going to go wrong. She needs to know how many degrees of internal rotation in her left arm should she have when she's in a particular point of the movement. And I think what happened when I coached her was that it made me realize that I can't just communicate to people the way that I like to communicate. I have to find what it is that resonates with them and make sure that I'm delivering that to them in a way that, you know, that, that is meaningful to them. And the real, the reason that 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 was pivotal for me is because I, I don't know, that's just what life is. That's not just about being a coach, but that's about, being a business owner and a better leader and a better friend and, you know, learning to, to really appreciate everyone for the individuals that they are and to make sure that I don't just put the, my own lens and my own perspective, my own perception over the top of the way that I treat everyone or, or, you know, interact with everyone. Um, And that's something that I think I've tried to influence our coaches on as well is to really look just outside of themselves at the individuals that are in front of them not just as coaches but as just as humans really that's fantastic and that communication you're absolutely right carries over absolutely every facet of life and to your point yeah it's learning how to understand what their filters are I suppose yeah totally and to realize that no one cares about us as much as we do, if that makes sense. So yes. I, think, I think oftentimes as fitness professionals or coaches or anyone, as a mum, as a you know, as an accountant, whatever your roles are, roles in inverted commas, meaning, you know, your your interpersonal roles, your professional roles, whatever your roles are, no one is looking at you as much as you think that they are. And when you when you turn that from a place of worrying what people think or focusing on yourself as an individual and just thinking how can I possibly do the best job in all of those areas a it takes the pressure off you and b it helps you deliver more to everyone deliver more value to everyone and the person that delivers the most value is ultimately the person who is the happiest the most satisfied and the person who kind of wins I suppose too yeah couldn't say couldn't say it better myself um so (laughs) well because you know Dane says things better than others. Yeah, you know, I, I, I try. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> you definitely say things, you know, more hysterically funnily than everyone else does, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> you two are a pretty close tie on that, Alicia. <laughs> We've got the same juvenile sense of humor, don't we? Yeah, well, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> All right, Alicia, we have a few wrap-up questions for you. So sure. what is the most impactful book you've read in the past six to uh, six to 12 months? 
Oh, that's good. I think in the past six months, the, the book I've read that's made the most difference is The One Thing by Gary Keller because I am a bit of a magpie or a bit of a, a bird that's looking for the shiny the shiny thing that has my attention. It's really helped me to kind of get some clarity and narrow, narrow in on focusing on the one thing that's going to move the needle the most for me personally and in my business. Yeah, we have two copies have, in the room we're sitting yeah, in right now. Yeah, oh, that's yes, actually a, a book that Kevin um, from DTS gave me and the whole team. And then when Dane went on his own, I said, you need to read this first. It helps you laser focus in. And I found it was such an easy read that no matter who you are, whether you don't like reading or you do, it was a fantastic read to really consolidate some ideas. We love that one. That's It's always a good yeah. revisit too, to kind of recalibrate. Have I got lost? Am I being, I like your term, am I being a magpie <laughs> or am I really on track? No, it's a great one. For North Americans, yeah. am I being a crow? <laughs> yes. I don't think they do the same thing. Okay. Yeah, they're definitely the same kind of bird, though. Definitely don't. <laughs> so, um, uh, what is your non-negotiable? You're all over the place, uh, typically quite busy, both with teaching, running your studio, supporting your team, supporting your clients. What is the non-negotiable self-care tool that you have for yourself every day? two of them and quite often they they connect to each other one of them is that i need to be outdoors i have to be in nature every day whether it's in the middle of winter or the middle of summer i'm outdoors every day i happen to live in a beautiful beautiful part of sydney that's right by the harbor so i have some really great tracks that i can can kind of get out and get into nature and the second one is move every day obviously move daily fits with you guys yep. um, and when i can combine the two of them i mean multiple sessions every day so if i can be outside moving my body many times every day, then I'm a very happy person. But if I do those two things, move every day, get outside every day, then everything else seems to work really well. I love that. And outside time, I found when I lack that, it just, it doesn't feel like the day is complete. So I'm with you on that. Unfortunately, we don't have quite as soft of a winter as you do, but it's still equally <laughs> valuable. Yeah, I think a lot of people get tied up in thinking that movement you know, you're expending energy. So if you're already tired from a long day, you don't have very much energy, a lot of people default to, you know, sitting as opposed to doing movement. And it's so very much the other way around, especially if we're talking about these alternative fitness, using your own body to do some, some work that gives you energy. So it's definitely one of those things that, you know, has been a game changer for me over the past four to five years. Um, and it's an amazing self-care tip for, for people. And kind of segues into the, the next question is, if you had five minutes with someone, what is the one thing, going right back to your book, that you would try and impart to help them with their well-being? I think it's really about tapping into intuitively what works for them because we are all unique individuals and understanding that what works for the person on either side of you is not necessarily what's going to be the best thing to you, for you, but that when we, when we can really get in tune with our own body and understand that it will talk to us, it will tell us when we're doing things that are good for it, it will tell us when we are doing things that are not that good for it. And I think if you can tap into that and kind of listen to those cues and live your life based on that, then you'll probably find that there's a really great uh, that's a really great strategy or, or methodology for, for being healthy and happy and, and, you know, ultimately taking care of yourself. We love that you hit on the intuitive piece because we find we were just chatting with Chris as well and we were just talking about the mindset piece and also just building in conscious movement. And a lot of that is not dampening your intuition on when something feels right or even as a coach training somebody else, you start to get to know someone quite well and 
you will be more intuitive as a coach as well in terms of making good decisions. But being able to be intuitive about yourself, I think, is one of the most powerful tools anybody can develop in terms of being able to take their uh, take care of their own well being. Totally true, and it's just that awareness and consciousness. You know, and that term consciousness can can sometimes have a little bit of hippie woo woo stuff get kind of that, that shrouds it. But really, it is just being aware, like being aware of the thoughts that you have and the language that you use. And you know, yeah, when when you have those those tips or triggers from your body, if you have a, a skin breakout or you, you get sick, like these are all signs that something in our life is out of alignment. And I think if we can pay more attention to those physical cues, then yeah, then ultimately we'll end up with a system that lets us um, take care of ourselves the best way possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the body doesn't lie and the body is always providing us with feedback as how things are going in our lives. So, uh, Alicia, where can people find you? Um, all over the place. Um, basically, so it's true. The, <laughs> so on Instagram, um, we have Integral Ariel is for our studio, and then I'm Lil underscore Leashy, L I L underscore L E A S H Y. So they're probably the two places that I'm most active. Um, our website for the studio is currently undergoing a rebuild, but it will be IntegralArielSilk.com. Um, but yeah, probably Instagram is the easiest place to find me and Facebook. I'm Alicia Smith on Facebook. Brilliant. Alicia, thank you so much for taking the time. What time Thanks is it there? I just had a brief. It's 5 a.m. It's, it's okay. Well, you see, there we go. I hope our listeners tune in because we pulled you out of bed at a very early hour to come chat with us about this, but we really appreciate your input and your time. And it's fun to talk about these alternative fitness routes, especially with someone like yourself, who's been through, you know, the, the classes and the one-on-one coaching and the gym environment. And you've kind of seen so many facets of fitness and to see that you've landed on this one is really, really cool for Awesome. Oh, Thank you everybody. so much for having me, guys. Like, it's, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you. So, thank you. All right. Well, we certainly look forward to our next trip to Australia. And thank you very much, Alicia Smith, for coming on the Move Daily Health Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we will catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.